0: Hey everybody, so the fall festival season is upon us, and this year we're going to change things up a bit here at the Deresh Chai Experiment. We're going to take a break from the regularly scheduled podcast schedule to focus on the festivals. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be exploring each of the fall festivals as they approach, before continuing on with the Book of Leviticus a few weeks from now. I pray that this festival season is blessed for you and yours. So first off, Yom Teruah 2020. Rather than seeking to define and live by good versus evil, let's flip the question. Let's define life instead. But to do that, we must first seek it out. So join us as we Deresh Chai, as we seek life. The The Supreme King. King. He who remembers the rock to assign merit to creatures, who is enraged at Israel's enemies, forever he shall reign. The The Supreme Supreme King. King. Good is he who abides forever. His goodness is forever. He measures out the eternal heavens. Forever he shall reign. The The Supreme Supreme King. King. Cloaked in light as with a garment. With all the luminaries, he who is mighty and luminous. Forever he shall reign. The The Supreme Supreme King. King of the world, who reveals the concealed. Who gives speech to the mute. Forever he shall reign. The The Supreme Supreme King. King. He bears everything. Though he is ancient, he witnesses everything. HE SCRUTINIZES EVERYTHING, FOREVER HE SHALL REIGN, THE The SUPREME Supreme KING, King. HIS SPLENDOR IS MIGHT, MAY HIS RIGHT HAND'S WORK BE MIGHTY, THE REDEEMER OF THE STRONGHOLD, FOREVER HE SHALL REIGN, THE The SUPREME Supreme KING, King. HIS HOLY ANGELS ARE FLAMES, HE CALLS UPON THE WATERS OF Rahav. HE IS CLOSE TO THOSE WHO CALL HIM LOVINGLY, FOREVER HE SHALL REIGN, THE The SUPREME Supreme King. KING, THERE IS NO SLEEP FOR HIM, THERE IS SERENITY AMONG HIS INTIMATE ANGELS, This is the good praise of his concealed ones, the angels. Forever he shall reign. The The Supreme Supreme King. King. His might is forever. His splendor is forever. His praise endures forever. Forever he shall reign. The The Supreme Supreme King. King. And so the holy prayer shall ascend to you. For you are God. You are King. Let us now relate the power of this day's holiness, for it is awesome and frightening. On it your kingship shall be exalted. Your throne will be firmed with kindness, and you will sit upon truth. It is true that you alone are the one who knows and bears witness, who judges. You alone are the one who proves. You alone are the one who knows and bears witness, who writes and seals, who remembers all that was forgotten. You will open the book of Chronicles, and it will read itself, and everyone's signature is in it. The great shofar will be sounded, and a still thin sound will be heard. Angels will hasten, a trembling, a terror will seize them. They will say, Behold, it is the day of judgment to muster the heavenly hosts for judgment, for they cannot be vindicated before your eyes in judgment. All mankind will pass before you like members of a flock, like a shepherd pasturing his flock, making sheep pass under his staff. So shall you cause to pass, count, calculate, and consider the soul of all the living, and you shall appoint the fixed needs of all your creatures and inscribe their verdict. THE The SUPREME King. KING Psalm 118 O give thanks to Hashem, for He is good, because His loving commitment is everlasting. Let Israel now say, His loving commitment is everlasting. Let the house of Aaron now say, His loving commitment is everlasting. Let those who fear Hashem now say, His loving commitment is everlasting. I called on Yah in distress. Yah answered me in a broad place. Hashem is on my side. I do not fear what man does to me. Hashem is for me among those helping me. Therefore, I look on those hating me. It is better to take refuge in Hashem than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in Hashem than to trust in princes. All the nations surround me. In the name of Hashem, I shall cut them off. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me. In the name of Hashem, I shall cut them off. They surrounded me like bees, and they were extinguished like burning thorns. In the name of Hashem, I shall cut them off. Pushing, the enemy pushed me to fall, but Hashem helped me. YAH is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of Hashem is doing mightily. The right hand of Hashem is exalted. The right hand of Hashem acts mightily. Let me not die, but live, and declare the works of YAH. YAH has punished me severely, but did not give me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I enter through them. I thank YAH. This is the gate of Hashem. The righteous enter through it. I thank you, for you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was from Hashem. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that Hashem has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I pray, O Hashem, please save us now. I pray, O Hashem, please send prosperity. Blessed is he who is coming in the name of Hashem. We shall bless you from the house of Hashem. Hashem is God, and He gave us light. Bind the festival offering with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I praise you. You are my God, and I exalt you. Give thanks to Hashem, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. Yom Trua very little is said of this day in the Torah, and yet so much is said of this day in Scripture. But unfortunately, the majority of what's said is hidden. The only two times that we're told of this day in the book of Moses are in Leviticus 23 and Numbers 29, and the information that those two places give is extremely sparse. This day is not given an official name there. It's simply said that this shall be a day of rest and of teruah. Now, Teruah is a word that means the soundings of blasts, creation, celebration, and alarm. And it's a day for a holy convocation. Tarua doesn't have to be accomplished with a shofar. Teruah can be accomplished with your voice. It's simply nine staccato blasts. That's all. Nine staccato blasts, nine staccato shouts. It's something that you can do with your voice. You do not have to invest in a shofar to participate in Teruah. Now, while very little is said on this day in the book of Moses, we read of it many times throughout scripture, as I've already said. And yet, we never hear of it mentioned as the day of Teruah again. Now, this day, however, in the course of Israelite history, became the day of the coronation. This day was the day when the king was recognized by the entire country and a great celebration was held. It did not matter what day the king ascended to the throne. It was on this day that the king was officially coronated and recognized in all of his power and authority. Now we commonly view God as the king of the earth and he is blessed be his holy name. We're also told in the New Testament that Yeshua is the king. Acts, 1 Corinthians, Colossians, 1 Timothy, Hebrews, Revelation, and more speak of Yeshua's power and authority and his role as king. We're told in the prophets that the Messiah will be a king. We're told that Yeshua is the Messiah. So how do we relate the king of the earth to this Messiah who died on the cross for our sins? How did Paul do it, the writer of Hebrews, and John, how did they all arrive at the conclusion that not only was Yeshua the Messiah, but that he is, not that he's going to be, but that he is currently the king of kings? How did this poor, humble day laborer, who was given the death of a criminal at the hands of the Roman Empire and the leading religious system and and an angry mob, somehow get to be understood as the king? It might surprise you but the answer is found in the crucifixion and there's one book more than all of the others that brings us to the forefront and that is the gospel of mark now the gospel of mark is traditionally attributed to john mark of acts 12 through 15 the cousin of barnabas and the assistant to paul on his journeys now when we turn to the book of mark there are two primary ways that the book of mark accomplishes the task of calling out the fact that yeshua is the king One requires an understanding of the ancient Hebrew texts, and the other requires an understanding of the Roman imperial cult. According to tradition, and I stress this, tradition, this book was written to a Roman audience, the same audience that the book of Romans was written to, and it has been postulated that the book of Mark may have been part of what founded the Roman church that Paul then later writes his epistle to. Now it has long been recognized that Mark specifically wrote his book as a literary masterpiece, and he included many literary elements within the text that highlight certain points that develop the theme, not just of Yeshua as Messiah, but specifically of Yeshua as King. Now one thing that we should recognize before we begin is a piece of the Roman puzzle. Because these two contexts, the Hebrew and the Roman, they play off of each other, and I cannot completely separate them one from the other. So first off, there are a few terms that were reserved in first century culture exclusively for the emperor or the imperial family. The first of these is the son of God. The phrase in the first century Roman culture specifically, and nearly every religion as a whole, including Hebrew, was reserved for a king. We find this, actually, in Second Samuel chapter 7, when David is told that never will there lack to be a son of his who sits on the throne. And then it says, And he shall be a son to me, and I shall be a father to him. The kings of Israel were seen as the Son of God, but it also was something that permeated every other culture. Now, we've talked of this previously in regards to the exodus of Egypt, that Pharaoh was to believed to be the embodiment of the god Horus and the son of Osiris and Isis. Now, in Rome, just decades before the birth of Yeshua, this was also the case. The Roman Republic in 60 BC began a series of war that led to Julius Caesar distinguishing himself as a brilliant tactician and a general in the Gaelic Wars. When the war concluded in 51 B.C., Julius Caesar was commanded to step down from his position and to relinquish his authority. He refused to do so and he crossed the Rubicon under arms and began a civil war that resulted in the demise of the Republic in the beginning of the Empire. Over the next six years, he made massive reforms to the Roman government, which led to his assassination in 44 B.C. Now, This assassination led to a second civil war, and during that war, the imperialists deified Julius Caesar as a means of solidifying support for their cause, because a comet appeared in the sky during his memorial, and this was pointed to as a sign from the gods that Julius had ascended to the heavens as a god, and that Octavian, his adopted son, was now god on earth. When the imperialists won the civil war with Octavian at its head... The idea that the Emperor was the Son of God quickly became settled, and over the next several decades, this idea took hold and it spread quickly throughout the Roman Empire. The first Roman leader to accept this title upon himself was none other than Octavian, who upon his ascension to the throne became known as Caesar Augustus, who, while he was still a prince, began the process of making this idea, and the idea of the Roman Emperor, into a matter of government policy. This is the same Caesar Augustus who was the emperor when Yeshua was born. The title, Son of God, or Son of the Gods, was quickly reserved for the emperor. The second term that is important to know in the context of what we're speaking of is the Greek word evangelion, or the English word gospel. In the Roman Empire, this word was always used in connection with the news of the imperial family, or the growth of the empire. Proclamations would be sent throughout the empire with a gospel of a child born to the emperor, the gospel of a military victory, the gospel of an alliance or the defeat of an enemy. So imagine the scandal when the residents of Rome open the scroll of Mark for the first time and are greeted with these words. In the beginning of the gospel of Yeshua, the Messiah, the Son of God. This opening sentence is so packed full of controversy as to cause a stir from the very beginning. The gospel, this is imperial news. Messiah, the awaited king promised in the prophets. Son of God, a king that will supplant the systems of this world, the king of the earth. Mark then organizes his book in such a way that the entire thing is geared toward supporting this claim. Mark 1 begins with a messianic prophecy from Isaiah and then immediately transitions to Yeshua's baptism. The baptism is significant because it provides the initial support to the claim made in that opening verse. In the Hebrew history, what is one of the titles that's used for the king of Israel? Son of David. This term, when used in relationship to Yeshua, is more than simply a statement of lineage or even kingship, but it invites us to look back at the story of David and the path of his ascension as the king of Israel. Now, I'm not going to take long here, but I want to give you a few pointers that you can track down on your own later. So, who was it that preceded David? Samuel? Well, what are the circumstances of Samuel's birth? He had a barren mother. There was a prayer that was offered in the holy place for a child. A child was born to the mother and was dedicated solely to the service of God. That child grew up to become a prophet, that prophet confronting the false kings of Israel and that prophet anointing the true king of Israel. That is what this initial event in the book of Mark was meant to demonstrate. Was Yeshua anointed with oil? No, he was anointed with the Holy Spirit of God, which oil is meant to represent. And yet, similar to the anointing of David, in that David did not ascend to the throne immediately, Yeshua too did not ascend to the throne immediately. Yeshua's anointing and the announcement from heaven that this is my son, this is the awaited messianic king. The rest of the first half of Mark is dedicated to building up the support of this idea. The idea of preaching and proclaiming the the kingdom of God, healing and delivering, destroying enemies in the form of demons and strongholds of the enemy, in the form of traditions that have been built around the law that in the end prevented the people from true obedience. The first half up to chapter 8 verse 26 is dedicated to explaining and demonstrating just who Yeshua is. He is King, He is Messiah, and His coming is gospel. It is imperial good news. A king has been born. The last half of the book from 11 through 16 is then dedicated to revealing how it is that Yeshua attained and lived up to these claims. In between these two halves, there are four episodes. In three of them, we read of Yeshua questioning his disciples and explaining to them the process of what must be accomplished. The explanation of true kingship is one of service and suffering. Three times, once in the end of chapter 8, once in chapter 9, and once in chapter 10, Yeshua reveals. Example, Mark nine thirty one, For he was teaching his disciples, and he said to them, The Son of Man is being delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And having been killed, he shall rise on the third day. This idea is repeated three times in these intermediary chapters, along with much talk of how the kingdom of God is counterintuitive to the human imagination it's a kingdom of power but not power used in the way that places others lower but rather of power exercised on behalf of the least of these in order to raise them up and bring them alongside from chapters 11 through 15 we read of yeshua's last week in jerusalem and how and how his kingship is revealed And it is here specifically that knowledge of Roman coronation ceremonies becomes useful. In each of these three sections, there are significant events that it seems as if Mark was being intentional in creating a parallel between them to demonstrate his deeper point. Those three events being Yeshua's baptism in chapter 1, Yeshua's transfiguration in chapter 9, and Yeshua's crucifixion in chapter 15. In each story, there is a covering or a veil that is referenced in mark one through ten, the heavens are torn in mark nine three their garments become radiant white and in mark fifteen three the curtain of the temple is torn in each story, Elijah is referenced in mark one four through nine John the Baptist is portrayed as an elijah like character in Mark nine verse four. Elijah and Moses appear on the top of the mountain. And in Mark 15.34, someone says, Behold, he calls Elijah. In each story, something descends. In Mark one ten, the Spirit descends from the heavens. In Mark 9.7, a cloud descends to cover them. And in Mark 15.33, darkness descends over the face of the earth. In each story, a voice is referenced. In Mark 1.11, a voice from the heavens speaks to the people. In Mark nine seven, a voice from the clouds is heard declaring, This is my Son. And in Mark 15.33, Yeshua cries out in a loud voice. In each story, Yeshua is recognized as the Son of God by someone else. In Mark 1.11, it says, You are my Son, the Beloved, and you I am well pleased. The voice of God says this from heaven. In Mark nine seven, that voice declares, This is my son, the beloved one. Listen to him. And in Mark 15.39, the centurion declares, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Now these events, they're told in the same order, in order to string a thread from one end of Mark to the other, with these connecting events upholding the rest of the story. The first records Yeshua's anointing, The transfiguration carries language of priesthood in Mount Sinai, the final carrying the language of kingship and ascension to the throne. The specifics of that last one, Yeshua's ascension as a king, is still a bit fuzzy to us. So in order to see it, we have to look back at the Roman triumph. A triumph was a ceremony in which a Roman emperor would ascend to the throne. It was a process that the emperor would go through. It was not often that a Roman emperor would become emperor while in Rome. Many times they were out in the empire somewhere on some business or another when the emperor would pass away, and the new emperor would become emperor immediately. However, it was not until the new emperor would then enter the city of Rome, the one who was emperor in name only, who had not been accepted by the people or raised to the position, who had not gone through his coronation, there would be a procession where the emperor would be paraded down the streets to the acclamation of the people. In Mark 11, we read of what has become known as the triumphal entry, and while other books give this entry the flavor of the Passover sacrifice being brought into the city, the book of Mark gives it a distinctly kingly flavor to the events of that day. Mark eleven nine through ten says, and those going before and those following cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who is coming in the name of Hashem. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. In the name of Hashem, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Hashem. That's a direct reference to the Messiah. Blessed is he who is coming in the name of our father De- David. A direct reference to the King of Israel. The people were calling acclamation to a king who was entering his kingdom, according to Mark. Now, after the emperor would enter the city, he would spend time gathering and securing support from the population, enacting some policies that demonstrated the kind of action that he would take as emperor. And in the next four chapters, we see Yeshua do similar things, including the cleansing of the temple, answering questions about and exercising authority over sin and disease even making a distinction between the kingdom of Caesar and his own kingdom, explaining how he will interpret the law, and more. The 15th chapter of Mark, though, all of the events that are recorded in this chapter are done in such a way that those who lived in Rome, those who had seen an imperial Roman ascension, called a triumph, that they simply could not miss the significance of the events of that day. A Roman triumph in the days of the Republic was done for any great military commander to display his spoils and to gain honor and acclaim from the people. The one who was given the triumph was seen to be a king for the day. But by the first century, the emperors could have no competition, and so the imperial triumph became reserved only for a new emperor, because even a king for a day was seen as a potential rival. This is the chapter that records the trial and the crucifixion of Yeshua. Chapter 15 of Mark opens with this trial. Three times in the trial it is recorded that Pilate calls Yeshua the king of the Jews. Each time it is in the form of the question, but the fact that he repeated the title three times and the fact that it was the Roman governor who proclaimed this title to the city should not be lost upon the reader. The events of the day of the coronation for the Roman emperors were well set by the time that Mark wrote down his take on the events of the day of the crucifixion. The imperial coronation had many elements to it, and nearly every one is mirrored in Mark's account. On the day of the Roman triumph, the new emperor would begin his day by meeting with the Praetorian guard, in the Praetorian, in his full armor and pomp. It was vitally important for a new emperor that he have the full support of the Praetorian Guard. Without their support, his kingdom, his reign, was doomed. The Praetorians would welcome the new emperor, and they would take a purple robe that had been removed from an idol of Zeus, and they would place it on the emperor, and then place a crown, a wreath of laurel branches, on his head, and the emperor would give gifts to the Praetorian, and they would acclaim him as emperor. Now, it was common at that time to paint the emperor's face red as well, to set him apart and to signify him as something as other than human. Mark 15, 16-19 says, And the soldiers led him away into the court, which is the palace, in the Greek, the praetorian. And they called together the entire company of soldiers, and they decked him with purple, they plaited a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head, and they began to call out, Greetings, king of the Jews! and they kept beating him on the head with the reed and were spitting on him, and bending the knee, they were bowing down to him. Once the Praetorian guard had accepted the emperor, there would be a procession that would proceed from the Praetorian down the Via Sacra, the Holy Road, which winds its way along the city of Rome, and it would be lined with people seeking to catch a glimpse of the new emperor alongside the emperor a commoner, would be compelled to walk with the soldiers, and he would be tasked with leading a bull that was to be offered in sacrifice when they got to their destination. In Mark fifteen twenty one it says, And they compelled a passer by, Simon of Cyrene, coming from a field, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. The destination of the procession was a place called Capitoline Hill, translated as Head Hill. This hill got its name from a Roman myth recounted by Dionysus of Halicarnassus. It says that when the hill was first excavated as the place for the temple of Jupiter, an intact human head, complete with skin, eyeballs, and hair, was discovered on that hill. And in Mark fifteen twenty-two, we read, "And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which translates the place of a skull." Once the procession had reached the hill the head of the hill, and the temple of Jupiter, the emperor would be offered a cup of wine. The emperor would refuse the wine by pouring it upon the ground in most cases, but in one case it was poured out on the sacrificial bull. This was done as a symbol of the emperor giving himself for the empire. In Mark 15.23, and they were giving him wine mixed with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. As soon as this was done, the bull would be sacrificed, and the pieces of the bull would be placed on the altar, and the blood would be poured on the earth. The emperor would then ascend the steps of the temple of Jupiter to the very top. One way that the emperor would demonstrate his authority in this moment was to have someone extremely important just beneath the emperor, one to the right and one to the left, just two steps below him. Claudius had his two son-in-laws. Flavius had his two sons donatian and titus to either side in mark 15:25 through 27 we read and it was the third hour and they impaled him and the inscription of his accusation was written above the king of the jews and with him they impaled two robbers one on his right and the other on his left the crowd would then proclaim acclamation for their new emperor acclaiming his glory and in mark 31 through 32 says, And likewise, chief priests and the scribe, mocking to one another, said, He saved others, he is unable to save himself. The Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the stake, so that we see and believe. And those who impaled him were reproaching him. Now during the entire procession, eyes were peeled for a sign from the gods that their favor was on the events that were occurring. The comment at Julius Caesar's memorial games was seen as a sign. In one case, it was a flock of birds flying over the ceremony. In another, it was a sunspot that appeared in the sky. In another, it was a storm that appeared. In another, it was a burst of lightning, the shape of a cloud or a cloud covering the sun or moving out of the way of the sun at a propitious moment. Anything that could be seen as out of the ordinary in the sky could be pointed to as a sign of favor from the gods over this new emperor. And in mark fifteen thirty three we read, and when the sixth hour came, darkness came over all the land until the ninth hour and in mark fifteen thirty eight and the veil of the dwelling-place was torn in two from top to bottom. After all of this, one man recognizes what has just happened; he recognizes that he has been in the presence of a king, and this man was not a Jew. It was not one who was raised in Hebrew culture and literature who recognized that he had been in the presence of a king. It was the captain. It was a Roman. It was the one who had been with Yeshua through the entire ordeal. Mark 15.39 And when the captain, who was standing opposite, saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Let's remember that in Roman culture the Son of God was king language. You don't call someone the Son of God unless they are a king. The book then closes shortly after this. Chapter 16, verse 8, is widely recognized as the ancient and the original ending of the book of Mark. Yeshua is buried, time passes. Early in the morning, the women go to minister to the body of Yeshua. Upon getting to his tomb, they find it instead occupied by an angel who tells them, Do not be afraid. Yeshua has risen from the dead. Go tell his disciples. And the women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they told no one, for they were afraid. And that's it. The original ending of the book right there. They were afraid. The Gospel of Mark makes a claim from the opening line, Yeshua is the king. Mark then supports his idea through every page of his telling of the story in many ways, only a few of which I've touched on today. He then ends the book abruptly, and if you stop the story here, it seems as if Mark is issuing a challenge. It's as if Mark is saying, I have made the case for Yeshua as Messiah. I have made the case for Yeshua as king. How are you going to react? And I pose this question to all who are listening right now. Are you going to run in fear and disbelief like the women recorded doing so at the tomb in the book of Mark? Are you going to mock him as the priests and the centurions did? Or are you going to recognize him for who he truly is? Are you going to acknowledge that Yeshua is the Son of God, the King of creation, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Messiah? He has come and has ascended to the throne. But just as in ancient Israel, when a king would ascend to the throne and the coronation would be separated by some time. Regardless of when the king ascended to the throne after the death of the predecessor, their coronation would not occur until Yom Teruah. In the same way, Yeshua has ascended to the throne and he sits at the right hand of God the Father, and he will return one day for his coronation, At the sound of a trumpet, the blast of a shofar, he will return to claim his throne. So the question is, is he your king? Are you in his kingdom? If you are not sure, if you know that you are not and you want to be, then you can become part of his kingdom. Understand, this kingdom is not a kingdom of this world, but is a kingdom that is in the process of invading this world. It's a kingdom that is working to shift the values of this world to be based on God's values and not human values. It's a kingdom that will come to earth. Will you be part of it? Will you be welcomed into the kingdom of life? Is your name written in the book of life? If you don't know then you need to come before God's throne with Yeshua as your king. Or you will be left out. You will be left lacking and found wanting. So, Deresh Chai, my friends, seek life in all that you do. Seek Yeshua, the king of life, in all your ways. Only then can you attain life in the last day. Shalom. Thank you for tuning in to Deresh Kai. If you would like to find out more or support this ministry, head over to SeekLifeSC.com. That's SeekLifeSC.com. The music was provided by the Exodus Road Band. Check them out on iTunes or ExodusRoadBand.com. We'll see you again next time as we Der as we seek life. Shalom.